Chapter 9. One green eye, one seafoam blue. He looked rough, if such a word could be assigned to him. It wasn't apparent in his finely combed hair, nor was it apparent in the jumpsuit adjusted just so. No, things like that only lent him the appearance of bliss, of vacation rather than confinement. It was the set of his shoulders, the way his hands were tense at his sides rather than lax. It was the way his gaze dropped, unable to keep Will's accusing stare. His expression was grim contrite, shadows under the hollows of his eyes. He stood close enough to the bars to kiss them. "'My will,' he said, the first to speak. He sounded regrettably weary, like sleep escaped his most desperate attempts. "'You tried to warn me how acutely horrendous it'd feel to hurt you. You tried to tell me.' Will trembled, but he didn't move. He let the ache of the distance rest between them, agonizing. Enough pain had built up that sight alone couldn't nourish them.' He had to focus on pushing away the anger, the need to wrap his hands around Hannibal's throat and end him. His heartbeat was in his eye, and it steadily pushed the red away with each beat until it merely flickered around the edges of his gaze rather than consuming it. Come here, Hannibal coaxed softly. Not for me, but for you. Will took one step, then another. When he reached him, he let out a warbling, uncertain breath of air, and Hannibal's arms were taut around him before he knew it holding him as close as he was able, as tight as he dared. Will put his arms through the bars, and he clung to him, a soundless sob ripping from his lips as he pressed his face to his chest and closed his eyes tightly. The relief alone, his touch as soothing as a siren's call, was enough to undo him even as he hated it. "'My poor Will,' Hannibal murmured, and he lifted a hand to the back of his head, stroking his hair gently, tenderly. "'You've gone through something horrible.' I hate you, Will whispered against his chest. I hate you so much. Do you wish to kill me? Hannibal wondered. He dipped his head down to press a light, fleeting kiss to the curls on top of his head. Yes. A pause. I'd use my bare hands, he added. I wouldn't recommend it. The myriad of emotions I felt at your pain, at your horror and fear, I wouldn't wish upon you. If it is enough to unsettle me, I can only imagine what form of torment it would do to you and the mirrors about in your mind. He laid his cheek on top of Will's head and held him as close as the bars would allow, fingertips gliding along his spine like he could soothe the pain by touch alone. Perhaps he could. With each pass of his hand, the sensation of water rising far up over Will's head lessened until it felt like he was treading water rather than drowning in it. His heartbeat was steady, strong against his temple, and Will despised just how at ease it made him. 
He'd counseled enough soulmates in abusive relationships to recognize one from ten miles away. Despite this being no different, he didn't move. He hated himself a little more for that. You're not sorry, he said bleakly. I wanted to see what would happen, said Hannibal, a touch of something akin to almost guilt in his voice. I wanted to see if you were right when you threatened me. You're so sly, but so am I. Now that I know, I won't be repeating it. I promise. You promise? Will scoffed. I keep my promises, Will. Tell that to Molly. Would you like me to? I certainly will, if you'd like, Hannibal offered, and God damn it if he didn't sound utterly sincere. Don't, Will warned, and he tensed. Don't you. Just leave her alone, Hannibal. Leave her the fuck alone. Does she know of us now? Hannibal wondered out loud, another pass of gentle fingertips along his spine, pausing at the small of his back. As you lay at her hospital bed, did she see your eyes and know? Yes. She'd have seen your eyes enough while you were together that she'd note the difference immediately, Hannibal murmured. Did she forgive you, like you said she would? Yes. It stung worst of all, her grace. She held him much like Hannibal did. The two of them pressed chest to side in the hospital bed as she tried to soothe his fears away, whispering what they'd do once he came back to her. Her voice lulled him to something not quite sleep, but far more rest than he'd gotten in a long time. A sweet woman. He slid his hands up to Will's face, and he passed fingertips along his jaw, tilting his head so that he could better look into his eyes. Two faux blues that burned and needed more eye drops put into them. His thumbs brushed against his cheekbones, and the expression in his gaze was enough to make Will's knees weak, make his heart burst at the sight. He hated this. He fucking hated this. Your suffering is as beautiful as St. Sebastian, but I'm sure even God felt pain at seeing him clubbed to death. His thumbs slid along Will's bottom lip, gentle. A harsh contrast to the way Will had last left him. Teeth against skin. Thumb pressed to his lip like he could bruise it. Will shuddered at the touch. I hate you, he promised, and Hannibal dipped his head down, a hair's breadth away. I know, he replied, and he pressed his lips to Will's. Hands gripped the front of Hannibal's jumpsuit, and he pressed himself against the bars, a hiss of breath escaping him at the touch. It was hot. It was cold. It was wanting. It was giving. His mouth was soft against Will's, searching, seeking, He'd once thought that at the inevitable rush of emotions between them, their first kiss would have been angry, biting and forceful. Perhaps his supposition had been the beginning of the end, since he'd subconsciously resigned himself to an inevitable kiss. It was so much more wonderful than that. Somehow, that made it utterly worse. It was as much giving as taking, as kind as it was cruel in its attentions. Hannibal held so still against him, letting his twisting, grasping grip tighten against his chest as he exhaled shakily. He tilted his head for a better angle, moving his mouth against Will's, with a knee dancing the line of genuine desire, something more than their eyes and the chemicals inside. Fingers tangled into his hair, and when Will sighed, soft and pleased, it seemed to unravel Hannibal as much as it did Will. Hannibal broke the kiss long enough to kiss the tip of his nose, the top of his head. They were the touch of a lover, not a hunger. He pressed forehead to forehead and held him close. Heartbeat staccato against Will's ribs, and he wondered dazedly how long it'd been since Hannibal had been touched like that. Orderlies, policemen, FBI agents. 
Hannibal's need came from years of starved skin, of the burning realization he'd die completely alone. Will didn't like seeing that aspect of him. He resented it. I'm going to go, Will said quietly. He didn't move. You have a killer to catch. Of course you are. Are you going to send him more ways to hurt me, Hannibal? A short breath caught. Fingers tightened in Will's hair. No. What happens between you and Francis Dolarahide is completely between you and Francis Dolarahide. Will believed him. He couldn't say in that moment if he was the one being tricked, or if he was the one tricking. But he drew away from him all the same, grim. Maybe if Molly could have seen him like that, wanting, yearning, she wouldn't have forgiven him so easily. His jaw clenched, unclenched, and he looked down rather than stare into two hauntingly beautiful, mismatched eyes. He was the one tricking, but he was sure he was being tricked, too. He had to be, right? Don't stay away from me, Dr. Graham, Hannibal said, and for the love of God, he sounded genuinely concerned. At the very least, for yourself. Threatening me? I'm unaccustomed to being concerned for another individual like this, Hannibal informed him. I felt you at the very edge, prepared to do something no one can take back after acting on. Your final moment taking intrinsic responsibility for your own life by punishing me in a way that I couldn't return the favor for. Fear is a new sensation for me, but I felt it through you. I felt it for you. I'd kill myself if it meant that you hurt, Will murmured. Yes, I know. A soft lull, a whisper around them that urged Will to draw close again. He didn't. Having seen your dreams, having felt how you relished in your own pain at our distance— taking it upon yourself like a mantle. I believe you. You were jealous that even with this, between us, I would still go back to Molly and leave you behind. Jealousy is an ugly thing. I was merely concerned you'd harm yourself for the sake of it harming me. Self-harm is a serious condition that should be handled delicately. Delicately? Will spit out. That was delicate to you? That was fucking delicate? It got your attention so that we could speak. A soft, quiet sigh. I wasn't sure I could convince someone to get a letter out to you after the last incident. You wield masochism like it is your bedmate, but I drew weary of knowing that you were hurting. I can endure pain as well as you, but the knowledge of your agony is more than I can bear. Helpless as the cell makes me to ease it. Hannibal reached out, and he took Will's hand, cradling it like it was fragile. Will didn't move closer, but he didn't pull away. He instead stared as Hannibal traced his lifeline, then his heartline. Deliberately, he dipped his head and pressed a kiss to his open palm. Even as you hate me, you understand why I did it, Hannibal mused. I don't think it's the soulmate connection that gives you such understanding, though. In your vastly mirrored mind, you were me, and you feared losing something that gave you a connection past these hideously tacky stone walls. You'd hate to lose your new toy, Will said snidely. He ignored the way his heart pound. I abhor that you hurt yourself in the hopes that it hurts me worse. He pressed another kiss to his palm, slid his thumb across it like he could ingrain its actions deeper into his skin. Go and catch your killer now, dear Will. Don't misimagine me while you do it. Will left, although once he was in the safety of the rental car, he pressed his palm to his mouth to inhale the feeling of his lips. He hated himself for that, too. 
Matthew Brown was held at the Baltimore Police Department, and they let Will in to see him after a quick rundown with Chief Norton. He'd heard much about what had happened, and the pitying glance did nothing to foster goodwill. Will endured it, though. He had to play nice to see Matthew. He had to play nice to understand. They sat in one of the interrogation rooms, and when Will looked up from hands he'd concentrated on keeping clasped and amiable in appearance, he was surprised to see mismatched eyes rather than two solid green ones. One eye green, the other seafoam blue. Who'd you connect to, Matthew? Will couldn't help but ask. He almost blurted it, what with the way it fell from his lips. Startled, confused. Is that a question? One of Matthew's hands twitched, although handcuffed to the table, he couldn't do much. Don't recognize your own eyes, Dr. Graham? No. Not anymore, at least. Not after he'd lost them to someone else. When did that happen? He asked, jaw working furiously. Surprise made him twitchy. Three years ago. A pause. Three and a half. He corrected. Impossible! Will snapped, and Matthew laughed a little, lightly tapping fingers on the table. They made me take the contacts out, he explained. They didn't make you take yours, though. I guess that's because they don't know yet. How do you know about that? He hissed, and he grabbed Matthew by the wrist, slamming it down flat to the table. There was a pause, from one ragged breath to the next, where he realized just what he'd done, assaulting someone using force. Matthew didn't seem to mind it, though. He tilted his head eerily, much like Lecter's, and a playful smile flickered about his mouth. His hand didn't move beneath Will's. It lay splayed out on the table, giving in the wake of Will's anger. I met your gaze once, three and a half years ago, when you visited with Dr. Bloom, in order to see if any released patients from the Institute exhibited signs pertaining to your Minnesota shrike in their old files. You were quite articulate, explaining his mannerisms, his thoughts. You dropped your papers, and when you bent down to get them, I helped. I was somewhat of a fan of you, you see. We met eyes, brief, something that I'm sure you hadn't even realized, feverish as you were at the time. A fan, Will repeated flatly. You saw things no one else saw. You were the psychiatrist that could walk into a room, glance about at the small things, and reveal the inner workings of a genius's art, Matthew boasted. He spoke like he was personally proud of the accomplishment, like he'd done it himself. I thought, what if he saw someone like me? I didn't. After shift, I took a nap, he continued, ignoring Will's jab. When I woke up, one of my eyes was yours. Matthew Brown's voice was soft a lull to it from practice of trying to maintain a guise. Will's eyes narrowed on him, even as he released his hand. Of course, when you didn't come back to the institution in a rage, and when I certainly didn't feel a connection from you, I realized it was only a half-connection. One side of a soulmate. You didn't say anything, Will managed. His throat was dry, and he reached up to rub his face, his mind refusing to connect, refusing to see the things in front of him as real. That wasn't his eye. That wasn't his eye. Why would I make a complete ass out of myself by saying anything? His head tilted the other way, and he sighed quietly. I did what you did, and I know what you did. I've stared at my eyes long enough to memorize the color, and those aren't your eyes, Dr. Graham. Aren't they? You're hiding a maroon one. Why didn't you say anything? Will challenged. We saw his eyes, and I realized he'd gotten what I couldn't. I thought to be jealous. Maybe angry. I saw your contacts, and I really thought about hurting him. I couldn't, though. Matthew looked to his hands, twisted them awkwardly in order to stare down at them. 
I thought about what would have happened if you'd just looked at me, Dr. Graham. Really fucking saw me. But you didn't. You saw him. And if I'd hurt him, you'd hurt. It wouldn't hurt you to hurt me, though, Will said quietly. It would hurt you to hurt Molly, Matthew replied, and his pitch lowered. Just because you don't feel it physically the way you would a soulmate doesn't mean you don't hurt when someone you care about hurts. I couldn't bring myself to hurt you like that, and I'd never felt that kind of consideration towards a person before. I thought, seeing him is enough. Seeing him happy and content is enough. It sounded too much like Hannibal, him saying that. It sounded kind. The idea of someone being afraid for him in pain, considering how he'd feel to hurt. It was as infuriating as it was beautiful, as hideous as it was touching. It wasn't, though, Will said coldly. You set me up. He said it'd be a painless way to kill Molly, he said heavily. He looked up at him, nodding at Will's stricken expression. Yeah, I lied when I said I didn't know Molly. You were going to stay with her, even when you had someone right in front of you that knew you the way I wished to know you. I spoke with him after you did, questioned him. When he realized I had a half-connection, he asked why I'd been so interested in helping him. Asking myself the same thing, Will said angrily. He moved his hands below the table, the urge to lunge across the table fast-rising. He regretted letting Jack and Shelton keep him from punching him. You know, you see those hawks on the power lines, Dr. Graham? Matthew glanced up at the ceiling, pensive. And they're secluded, regal. Then they get mobbed by a bunch of little birds and they fly off, run off by the numbers. Lecter and I, we're the hawks. You're a hawk. The only weakness hawks have is that they're solitary, alone. I thought to help him out, since you were wasting your time trying to love a finch when you could have a hawk instead. If you were really my soulmate, you'd know how much that would hurt me to hurt her. He seethed. His voice shook and he lowered it. Can you honestly tell me you can go back to someone like her when you have someone like Lecter? Matthew asked. The bastard had the gall to laugh. His handcuffs shift and he tapped fingers along the table. Someone that knows you, sees you the way he does, the way that I wish you'd see me. I'm trying to, Wolf thought, a tremor working its way down his spine. I'm trying to go back to Molly. Dr. Gideon informed me that you belong there with the rest of them, Will said lightly, forcing his voice to remain level calm. Chief Norton informed me that he'd allow me to make that sort of estimation in front of a judge. What do you mean? Matthew asked warily. You connected to me because your darkness found something within mine that appealed to you, didn't it? At Matthew's slow, uncertain nod, he grinned, more of a grimace, somehow more satisfying at the way it made his gaze narrow. I'll give you a first-hand glance at just what you thought you connected to, Matthew. You fucked with my life out of his selfish desire, now you get to reap what you sow. You'll get to see me often like you wanted. What are you going to do, Dr. Graham? There it was, the nervousness, like an adder posed to strike. We'll dove for the uncertainty, that hesitance. I'll have you sent to the BSHCI. A psychotic break at a half-connection never filled, at your desire that ultimately made you try and aid in the murder of an innocent woman. I'll tell Chilton you have a connection to Lecter, Matthew threatened. His gaze darted his bottom lip curling into his mouth as he wet it. Will tilted his head, mirroring him, honing in on the fear he could smell, sharp with sweat and disgust. That hurt me, Matthew, Will whispered to him. And now that I'm more invested in my soulmate than ever before, do you really want to hurt me? He stood up, and Matthew tracked his movements, his hand jerking back against the handcuffs. It was satisfying, seeing him internally warring, 
struggling with a love he'd hidden for years before it burst from him in the ugliest way imaginable. Finding pleasure in the panic lurking in his eyes made Will hate himself a little bit. Doing bad things to bad people makes me feel good, he thought, walking out of the room. In front of the judge, a week later, he attested to the traits of known psychotic breaks that occurred at the hands of half-connections and soulmates. Credentials were laid out, summaries cross-referenced, and the judge agreed that Matthew Brown should be moved to the Baltimore State Hospital for the Criminally Insane for aid and therapy under the close supervision of Dr. Chilton. It was the humane, fair way to handle that form of trauma, the feeling of not quite having the connection that so many soulmates enjoyed. Once Will saw the mismatched eyes of the judge, he knew it'd be an easy ruling. Matthew Brown said nothing as this was happening to him. When asked his stance on whether he had an opinion or jail or the institution being better, he shrugged, a slight twitch of his shoulders. It was decided then. As he was led away, his mismatched eyes sought Will out at the doorway, and he nodded once. Will struggled to swallow, shifted in his chair and nodded back. Sweet retribution. But it didn't feel so sweet going down. It felt more like taking a pill dry, the bitter coating on the outside dragging down his throat until it hit his stomach, hard. Love broke people, Will thought dazedly, on the courtroom steps. He watched them load Matthew Brown into the transport that would take him to the BSHCI. Contact-covered eyes staring at the back of the vehicle. Love made people do things that were self-deprecating, asinine, foolish. Love made him break his back, spewing apologies to Molly. Love made Matthew Brown hide himself away until he could see Will again, unspeaking in his affections. A shuttered wall that Will couldn't see until it was too late. I thought, what if he saw someone like me? He had his revenge, though. Was it revenge? Something much like it. He bought a smoothie at a small food truck, sat on a bench, and stared out at the hustle and bustle of the people rushing around him, hectic in their schedules and their lives. More eyes were mismatched than not and he turned the cold cup around in his hands as he studied them, wondering what it'd be like to be like them. No matter how Will tried to twist it, much like he twisted the cup around, he couldn't claim that his actions were anything more than petty revenge. Hannibal would have been proud. He was distracted by a phone call, although it was only the last few tones of it that really broke through the haze of his mind. He kept going back to that moment when he grabbed Matthew's wrist, when Matthew had allowed him that burst of anger when he'd lunged across the table at the BSHCI. Would he have let Will strike him? Strangle him? All in the name of some misguided love, bought at the cost of one odd-colored eye. Hello? He asked, gripping the smoothie cup tight in one hand. People at the office are beginning to wonder if you're dead, Dr. Avery said by way of greeting. What with the news? The news lies, mostly, he replied. That and what happened at the house with Molly. Molly's okay, he reassured her. That's good to hear. I'd ask for an address to send a gift basket, but I don't want to compromise anything. A short laugh, and Will allowed the joke, his smile directed at the smoothie. Now that he had it, he wanted to throw it away. If you send it to me, I'll get it to her. Oh no, I'm not falling for that. You'll eat it. If you're foolish enough to send a food basket, you can't blame me for eating anything out of it before sending her the rejects. And now I'm remembering every single work party, and why I never got a chance to eat the little smokies at the buffet table, she said with a laugh, an awkward pause as she debated her next words. How are you feeling? she finally asked. A poor attempt, doctor, he rebuked lightly. At the very least, you could try a Warshak test. If I could send one over the phone, I would. Another lull as she gathered her thoughts, 
and Will gathered his guilt from the puddle of condensation that collected on his hands from the cup. He regretted a lot of things, mostly wasting money on the smoothie. What happened to the cop? With everything that's happened, I can't help but worry if my advice led to this. Will barked out a sharp laugh. Her advice, like it was her fault that he tried to play games with a very dangerous man. Like it was her fault he'd tried to lie to Lecter, and Lecter responded by burning his safe places down around him. No, if there was one thing that Will Graham was wonderful at, it was hoisting all of the blame onto himself rather than anyone else. She may have given him advice, but he's the one that dows the house in kerosene. Dolora Hyde had two. They both burned their houses down. He's doing his best, he finally said. She was patient, much like he was. His answers came slow, and she was willing to wait. Are you helping him? Honestly, I don't know if I'm doing more help than harm, he confessed. I'm trying, though. He's trying. I'm trying to figure out what he wants in the end. After this, are you considering pulling him? A pause. Tell me you're not blaming him for what's happened. No, no, this is completely my fault, Will assured her. You may have suggested using him as a proxy, but the man in Maximum probably saw me as the puppeteer. Who was he going to blame when he didn't get what he wanted? The soulmate? The police? Or the soulmate psychiatrist? Certainly the soulmate psychiatrist, Avery said. I don't think I can pull him through, though, Will continued. He's... seeing the things that connected him to his soulmate. He's seeing just what they have in common that made this happen. Is he reconciling it well? To an extent. I think he views it as... Having these traits makes him grotesque but useful. He wants to help people. He wants to do well, but to do that he feels that he has to make certain decisions that are less than savory. He feels that pull to his soulmate like nothing before. The road to a victory isn't always paved in gold, she said, then stopped and laughed at herself, a snorting sound that was as endearing as it was loud. Sorry, that was... that was just corny. It was, Will agreed. I think you'd have a lot in common with him if you didn't mind opening up. Some of your methods in therapy are a little unorthodox, but it does the job nicely, sometimes better than textbook, I'd say. It was only unorthodox to you because you thought not having a soulmate means I'm unqualified to explain. Yes, yes, I'm not ashamed to admit that you are right, she said irritably. You are more than qualified to explain the ramifications of soulmate infidelity in regards to half-connections versus whole-connections, which is what I said later, if you recall. I can swallow my pride, which is more than I can say about you getting puffed up when I admitted that I was wrong. Will swallowed a smile. How did you know to call me, Dr. Avery? We've worked together for a few years now, Graham. Long enough that when I saw the news and heard about Molly, my first thought was, how is that poor soulmate doing? And then, I bet Graham is just hating himself after all of this. Molly isn't my soulmate, he said quietly. No, but I've seen the way you look at her. And sometimes, it's like she's the buoy that's keeping your head above water at sea. She's not a soulmate, but she's a lifeline. Molly was a lifeline. Will's head felt like it was underwater. He wondered bleakly that if he wanted to see Hannibal again, if he could smooth the tides around him like he had before, each pass of his bloodied hands making Will feel a lot less like he was drowning, and more like he could finally breathe.